Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us today. And you who are watching online, thank you so much for being with us. We're glad that you are, are here. Ladies, how many of you attended the conference? Anyone here? How many had a good time? Did you? All four of you. <laughs> that's, that's so encouraging. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how about the rest of you? No. It was, it was great. Uh, I've heard nothing but positives and just thank you for attending. Uh, heard Mary did a great job, Stacy and Annie and just everyone. It was just a great time and all the other speakers, workshops. Thank you so much. Now listen, I, uh, I know you just sat down and got comfortable. I know you're just settling in for the message. Yes, but we have this thing. Yeah, just go ahead, pop up. It's called hashtag respect the word. And so... Uh, we're in, we're in the second church. We, uh, Pastor Daniel spoke to the church at Ephesus. Actually, Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus, and you read and preached on, just so we're clear. And I'm going to speak about the church that Jesus spoke to in this wonderful message, to the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you a, a crown of life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Lord, take your word. May it go deep in our souls today in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So to be honest, uh, I'm not sure who handed out the preaching assignments. It may have been me. But uh, it was uh, when I got Smyrna, my first thought was, oh, great, the suffering church, the persecuted church. Yay. You know, the basic message is, hey, you're suffering and persecuted. You're going to get more and then you die. And that, that doesn't sound real encouraging, does it? How many know that there's a lot more? There is a lot more to this passage of Scripture. These four verses are packed, jam-packed with thoughts and things that we can get our head around and just grow in. And so before we get, jump to Smyrna, I want to I wanna set, set the platform. I want us to be able to do one or two things when we look at that book. Uh, first starts with a story about my grandson. Uh, Gray and I, we were driving, and uh, to be honest, he struggles with empathy, and I was trying to encourage him to be more empathetic toward his mother, and who's my daughter, and uh, I, I, I take that role, role responsibly. It's a concept that he struggles with, this empathy, that, that ability to understand and share the feelings of another. How many know that my grandson's not alone? Truth is, we all struggle with empathy. We all struggle to understand or to share in the feelings or the hurts or the wounds of others. And so it feels like we're, we're all in the same boat together. Now, and my point would be that whether it's families that are fighting for their lives in the Ukraine, we are so inundated with media that sometimes that just goes in one ear and out the other, but there are people fighting for their very lives today. In other places, but in the Ukraine. People that some I know. And, and we struggle with that. We struggle with those who have experienced loss. Three or four families in our church have struggled with loss lately. And then there are those that suffer economic loss. You know, for, for, as I've said before, for some of us, for many of us, five, six dollar gas annoys us, makes us angry, wants us to rail against something, but we can afford it. But there are people where five and six dollar gas makes, is the make or break for them, and they struggle. 
that when they walk into a store, they're having to make choices because groceries have gone up 10, 15, 20%. And, and sometimes it's easy for us not to be empathetic, not to realize that other people struggle. And I think that's why we need 1 Peter chapter 3 or, and verse 8 more than ever, where it says to my grandson and to me and to all of us, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble today. Now, the best way to do that is to hear someone else's story. I mean, I'm off on a tangent, but I'll be back in a minute, but you get caught up in just listening to your own story and the stories of people like you, it will make you less and less sensitive to the story of others. If you just listen to your own story and the story of people who think like you, it's going to make you hard and not able to empathize with others. I think it behooves us to share our lives with other people, and that means we have to talk with people who are not like us. Is that okay to say? That isn't one of the main points, but I'm just telling you, I think it behooves you and I to be people who hear the stories of others. Doesn't mean we have to agree with their story. Doesn't mean we have to embrace their story as our own, but it means we have to be Christ-like enough to listen. And everybody said amen. Learning to listen is a key quality to being a Christ follower, in my opinion. Uh, and, you know, as Annie, Addie, Moon, Addie Munn said at the conference, uh, I listened to a clip of what she had to say, and Annie said, whenever we take time to listen to someone else's story, we're being like Jesus. Because Jesus was above, above all else, he was a listener. Look at the, the gospels and time after time, Jesus just paused, stopped and said, tell me your story. And people would tell him. Now, why is it, why is it so important to be empathetic today? Because you're looking and reading about a people you don't know. You're looking at a group of people who were, lived 2,000 plus years ago. We have nothing in common with these people. We don't live like them. Our culture's different. Everything's so much different. And we need empathy to understand where they are coming from today. We need to appreciate the severity of their suffering. Ironically, suffering is the one language we all understand. Ironically, suffering is the one language that brings us all together. That regardless of race, gender, social status, age, religion, or whatever, uh, we all understand suffering. We may not relate to another person's music. You may be an old school someone and you come into our sanctuary and there's a band and you're thinking, what on earth is a band doing in service? I could tell you stories of the battles I waged when we got rid of the organ. <laughs> when we brought in a drum machine, we didn't even have drums, just a drum machine and it was bonkers around here. I could tell you stories. We may not be able to relate to people's foods. Some foods I really enjoy, as you can tell. Other foods turn me off completely. I don't get it. I don't enjoy someone, certain foods. We may not enjoy, we may not empathize or, or come together on clothing. We all wear different styles and different things. Humor. Some people may not appreciate my humor. I get that a lot. But at the end of the day, what binds us together, what makes us all one is this concept of suffering because everyone's been touched by that. Everyone in this room knows what it means to lose somebody. Everyone understands what it means to suffer loss or to endure hardship or to go through times when your heart's breaking. That's what brings us all together within the body of Christ. For Christ's followers, you and I, those who follow Jesus and are serious about it, suffering hasn't, we, we add an, a dimension to the, our, our idea of suffering and it's this. We believe, number one, that God is with us every step of the way. We believe that God has not forgotten our address. He is with us every step of the way. We believe that God has not forgotten us in our sorrow, that he can empathize with us. 
that he knows our hurts, he knows the deepest part, even those things we haven't told anyone else, God understands. We know that even in suffering, and this is the hardest one maybe, we know that even in our suffering, God has a plan. Even in our suffering, when we've lost someone we've loved, we still understand and embrace that God knows our lives and he knows the purpose and the ideas and the plans that he has for us. This doesn't mean that suffering or persecution is ever fun. I mean, let's be honest, let's not be those kinds of Christians. Yay, I'm suffering. I mean, that's just weird. That's just weird. Let's not assume that those people who have committed such atrocities and are necessarily, or, or, or commit, uh, cause suffering are necessarily good people. But we believe this, that in the midst of every situation, in the midst of every painful situation, that God can take that situation and turn it around, that whatever the causes or the natural causes or the intended consequences might be, God can, by his miraculous power, change it. That's what we believe today. That's why we're here. We believe that even during suffering that there can be blessing. Did you hear me? Even in times of, of hurt and woundedness, there can, we can find blessing. We believe that we become stronger, not through ease and comfort. I mean, let's be honest. When things are going fine, we rarely remember God. But let, let pain and sorrow come our way. Let struggle come our way. Let opposition, let persecution, let suffering. And, and we find that who we are in Christ and we become stronger in times of struggle. And, and our story becomes part of the the parade of stories that encourage other people. That's why we need to share our stories. There are, are, are stories of David fighting Goliath, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, when Daniel fought the lions, when Stephen in Acts chapter seven, he's getting stoned. People are angry and they picked up rocks and they're hurling it at him. And he looks up and he says these words, Father, don't hold this to their account. That's a story that in, empowers and encourages. It's just like your story today. It's the power of, of the story of, of the bishop of Smyrna when he was being burned at the stake who said these words. He said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. These are powerful stories that remind us that everybody gets knocked down, but that's not the point. The issue is getting back up. The issue is pressing into Christ when you don't feel like it. The issue, when everything's against you, against you, you hold on to your faith and you say, Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm not going to let you go. Stories of faithfulness and courage throughout the Bible and even in our own congregation and throughout Christianity. Hebrews chapter 11, all the stories of the saints who persevered and who made it. These are the stories that tell us not to quit, not to back up or give up. Smyrna and the voices like them tells us that we can make it. Tells us that we can make it. My dad wasn't a learned man. I think he finished high school, though I'm not sure. And yet one thing my dad has, that when I was going through a difficult time, whether I was living down in Orange County or I was up here and I was struggling with something, those words would come through the telephone lines and my dad would say to me, you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. Believe it or not, that's what Smyrna is saying to you today. That no matter what you're facing, no matter the problems that come our way, you, in Jesus' name, are going to make it this morning. It's during times of suffering that we recognize that God is more than able, that David can beat Goliath, that the Hebrew children will, will walk out of the flames untouched, that Daniel can beat the lions. It's during times of suffering that Jesus gives this incredible message that he always gives to the weak, that he rewards those who are faithful. And so we come to Smyrna, this little, this little area, and Jesus is going to speak in a way, and he starts with this. 
And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Jesus introduces himself in a way that's majestic. Behold the king, the one who is the first and last, the one who died and came back to life. What he's saying by that first and last is, I was before Smyrna and I'll be after Smyrna that is now Izmir and I'll be after Turkey and the rest of the world. I will remain because Jesus is above all things, indestructible and endurable, omniscient, omnipresent, and um, which one did I miss? Omnipotent, omniscient. I, I forget them sometimes. But how many get the message? Jesus is the first and the last. There is none before and there will be none after today. He's the one who died and came back to life, fully God and fully man. He died, he rose again, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's our hope, that in the midst of a changing culture, in the midst of a changing world, Jesus remains the same. That if you put your faith and your trust in him, it will never die, it will never be wasted, it will never fade away because Jesus remains. It's the message of the church today. Smyrna is about 35 miles from Ephesus. It's a, it's a port city in, in a larger town called Izmir in Turkey uh, today. And it, it, back then it had over a half a million people. It was very busy then. It had very close ties to Rome and to emperor worship and to the emperor Domitian and, and the Gentiles. Anyone who's non-Jew thought it was nothing to go to the temple and to burn incense to the emperor. That's what they did. They paid homage to the emperor Domitian. They viewed him as a god. And then on the other side, you have the Jewish folk, the Jewish people who were worshiping their God in their way, according to Judaism. And then you have, the, you have these Christians who, these Christ followers who just want to worship Jesus. Where are they? Right stuck in the middle. Right stuck in the middle. The Jewish people were exempt from emperor worship. They loved it. And here's the believers right in the middle. And all they want to do is just worship Jesus. They want to be able to, to live their faith following the Lord Jesus Christ. And because these people and those people didn't like them, they suffered physical, emotional, socioeconomic pressure from both sides. From these people who wanted them to worship one way and from these people who wanted them to worship another. And all they want to do is go right down the middle and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to go off on too large a tangent, but I can understand those people over there. We're never going to get along with culture. You just got to understand that. But did they expect it from their Jewish neighbors? Most of the believers in Smyrna came out of, of Jewish families and Jewish homes. They worshiped. They read the Torah. They read the, old books of the, the, the books of the Old Testament. In many ways, they still practiced. But by their Jewish neighbors, they were called false, Christ, or false Jews today. This Jesus got so fed up with this. Jesus used the words that, you know what? If they're not acting like Jewish people, if their hearts aren't toward God, then they're not really Jewish. They're of the house of Satan. Harsh words today. Not all Jewish people, but those who would persecute his church. You know, here's my point today. As, I, as I've already said, these people I get, we're, cultures, we're never gonna get along with culture. Is that okay to say? I'm not one of those crazy head cases that are, I'm not railing against culture. I'm just telling you, we're never going to get along because they have, church has, uh, the world has their philosophies, their ideologies and everything, and it doesn't include Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's just the way that it is. So we are here in the middle. We, we love Jesus and we want to worship Jesus. That's our culture. And, and we're going to be diametrically opposed. Eventually, it may get worser and worser. That's not a real word, but worser and worser. <laughs> to where 
it, it may get difficult to follow Jesus. But I don't have a problem with those people because they're pagan. I understand where they're coming from, right? Why be surprised when people act just the way they're supposed to? I don't mean that they should, but the way that they, their culture dictates that they should. Then you, but, but what surprises me were this group of folks over here who claim to be religious. It's how they treated, how they treated those believers. Now, friends, here's my point. I've already said you can expect culture, the world, to act just like the world. You can expect people who don't believe in Jesus to act like people who don't believe in Jesus. But more often than not, a lot of the problems and a lot of the friction and a lot of the sorrow that we endure are not from unchurched pagans. It's from people like us. I say this, and if you're a believer, I want to say this, and I want you to hear me, and I say it with all sincerity and and gentleness. Sometimes the meanest people on the planet can be a bunch of Christians. Is that okay to say? I mean... I mean, when I do go on Facebook, because most of my Christian, my friends are Christian, it's embarrassing. And I don't want to get off on it because you know how we all feel about it. But you know, there's a lot of things you want to say, but you're not going to say because it's the wrong thing to say because everyone's going to say, ooh. Well, that's kind of how I feel right now. I mean, it's like that picture Pastor Daniel showed me. Someone heard the message last night and they sent me a picture of a guy holding two cats and he put them together and they started fighting and underneath but one was the caption, Christians. <laughs> Think on it. Get it. Well, when Pastor Daniel, you, were, you gave some of the list on people last week who have left their first love. Well, I was sitting right down there making a list myself. You know why people that love their first love of Jesus because they love their politics more than they love Jesus. Some people leave their first love because they like Fox News and CNN more than they love Jesus. Just nod at me, and I'll tell you why, because I'm right. <laughs> Let me tell you, some people like being right so much, they like being right more than they love Jesus. And they like letting everyone know else that if you don't believe like me, then you're, you don't measure up. And you want to know who a lot of the people who do that? It's a lot of Christians. And in the name of Jesus, I say stop it. In the name of Jesus, forbear means don't do it. Yeah, uh, Christians can sometimes be mean to one another. I heard Chuck Swindoll, he's, he didn't originate, but he's who I heard it from, said this, that the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. Just, again, nod your head. Because that's sometimes where we're at as a church. Not our church. We've got a bunch of kind people who never cause problems. <laughs> at least the New Revised Church now that a lot have left. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. You know, but it's true. We want compassion for us, but we want other people to receive justice. We want mercy and forgiveness, but we want other people to receive judgment and condemnation. And yet, never have we needed the words of Jesus more. Some of you aren't smiling. You'll get through this. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, we're going to reduce that down. We're pruning, yeah. Luke chapter 6, 36 through 37. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. I mean, honestly, how much more plain do we need to empathize with one another? To be kind to one another. Listen, write this down somewhere. It's, uh, I think Rick Warren said it, but if you're right and you're wrong, if you're right and you're rude, then you're wrong. 
If you're right and you're rude, I mean, the Bible over and over says, love your neighbor, forgive your enemy, speak the truth in love. And what do we do? We demand that people agree and believe just exactly like we do. What was that thing we said a couple weeks ago? And in all things, charity, in the essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, unity. And, and that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you, you sacrifice your values, your ethics, or your, what you believe, but you speak the truth in love because that's how we win people to Jesus, by speaking the truth in love. Now, I want you to, to change, we're gonna change, we're gonna turn a sharp corner here. I want you to imagine that you're now in Smyrna. You're in that little place and you're not worshiping in a place like this. You're in a little town, or excuse me, a little building and there's maybe one candle, one lamp that's lit and you're sitting there and, and you're looking around and the people that were there last week, aren't, some of them aren't there this week. Some have been put in jail. Some are being persecuted. Some have just left their first love because they're tired. They can't go on. And, and there are people missing and some have given up and they can't take it anymore. And maybe you're sitting there and you're risking. I mean, we walk in here, we can worship as we want. We can sing, we can lift our hands. We can dance a little bit if we want to. Let's not go crazy here. But I'm just saying, we can do those things and, and I can declare boldly, hey, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I have the freedom to do that. But these people don't empathize with them today. Empathize with their situation and maybe they're hurting and they're wounded and they, they don't know what they're going to do with their families because they have real families with real kids and all those things. And then the pastor gets up to read the scroll. They just got a letter in fresh uh, from John to the churches in Revelation. And he said these words. He said, I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Look at that, those first two words. Friends, if I were going to dance over something in this passage, it'd be right there. Jesus says, I know. He knows what's taking place in Smyrna. He knows the hurt, the wounds, the persecution, the suffering. And he knows where you live. He knows what it is that you deal with today. He knows what it is to be an outcast. He knows what it means to not fit in. He knows what it means to suffer, even die. He knows what it means being ostracized, assaulted, boycotted, mistreated. He knows, what it, uh, he knows that the Smyr Smyrnians, the people of Smyrna, are being, are being uh, persecuted for their faith. And many of those people who sit in that worship service on the Lord's Day, they're not even sure what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows. The Bible says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, he doesn't just know then, he knows now. He knows what you're dealing with. Nothing catches him by surprise. He's sovereign Lord. He knows what you deal with. He knows what's inside. He knows the pain and the anguish. I gotta be honest with you. Just have somebody knowing what I'm going through makes it better. When my wife knows, when my friend, uh, friend or two knows, when the elders in our church know, when my brother knows, it gives great comfort to me knowing that I'm not in something alone. But when Jesus says it, wow, Jesus says in you, to you, I know what it is you're dealing with. There's nothing better than that. Then Jesus kind of hits him out of left field and he says, I know your poverty, I know your tribulation, but you're rich. Can you just imagine someone saying, sitting there saying, what, 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 what did he just say? I don't feel rich. Checks your pockets, there's not much money there. 
He didn't say you feel rich. He said you are rich. That the knowledge of your richness is not based on your feeling. It's based on knowledge. That because Christ died and rose again has, is awaiting you in a crown of victory. You are wealthy today. Not in terms of the world's wealth, but in terms of the riches that cannot fade away or be burnt up or ever be lost. You're rich today. And maybe we can't convince you to feel that way, but we can certainly increase your mind, change your mind, say you're rich because of Christ today. You're rich. It's not based on feeling, it's based on knowing. The Bible said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through he, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, through, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We're rich. This point it would be so cool for Jesus to say, great job, team. You did it. Well done. It's all over now. Go home, relax. Take a break. Great job. But he doesn't. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Yikes. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Get this. This is the message of Smyrna. You guys have suffered. You've had persecution. And guess what? You're going to get some more. Yay! These people who did nothing wrong. These people who are just trying to live for God. Trying to do the right thing. Trying to live for Jesus. Are about to be persecuted anymore. There is no, I have this against you in, in this dialogue here. There's nothing there like at Ephesus or four of the other churches. These people were faithful, but more suffering and persecution were on their way. And you want to know the crazy part? Jesus is going to make it plain. In my opinion, it's not the Roman people over here, the Gentiles. It's not the people, the Jewish people who aren't really being Jewish people right now. It's neither of those groups. This battle's spiritual. That if you're going to endure suffering, if you're going to endure persecution, that above all else, what Jesus is saying to these people, it's the devil, he said, that's going to put you in prison. It's the devil. This thing's spiritual. And we, above all people, ought to get that. It's not those people out there that you're railing against. There is an enemy of your soul. If you're a new person here, I'm actually talking about the devil, the enemy, the one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. There's a real enemy. There's a battle going on. Richard Halverson said this, former chaplain, passed away years ago, uh, U.S. Senate's chaplain. He said these words. He said, no adequate understanding of history can be had without taking into account the fact that behind and around and through history, a personal, diabolical, satanic, spiritual force is bent on destroying all good and its author, Jesus Christ. Dr. Halverson is just restating Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This word tribulation that we've talked about, it's from a Greek word called philipsis, and it means intense pressure. It means pressure being exerted that is, uh, that, that's not really a strong enough. I ought to go redo it. It's intense, but it is, it's a pressure that just keeps on pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing. The clash here is not simply between us versus the Gentiles, us versus them versus the Jews. This is against the enemy of his soul. This is, a, this is a clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. This is a battle between faith versus unbelief of discipleship, listen to me, of discipleship versus Christianity light, L-I-T-E. 
Everyone's still with me today? It's a battle between following Jesus and having the resolve and the commitment and the persistence and the endurance to do that versus Christianity light. Christianity light says, I'll follow Jesus as long as it's convenient. I'll follow Jesus as long as it's fun. I'll follow Jesus as long as the pastor tickles my ears or, or joins my political cause. I'll follow then. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty, the battle is going to say it's going to be between those who desire to follow Jesus without all the extra garbage added on to, frankly, Jesus. There's no add-ons with Jesus versus the, the kingdoms of this world that is both outside and inside sometimes the church and how we see the world. It's about those who will follow Jesus. That's the call. That's the message today. This is Satan trying to get back at Jesus. To be honest with you, you don't matter all that much except to hurt Jesus. But I've read Revelation chapter 12 through 14. And once you get through all the imagery, all, all the, when you get through all the word pictures, take my word for it, Jesus wins. The beast, the, the dragon, every, they all lose because Jesus wins. <sighs> By the last service, I get pretty wound up. Let us read the rest of the verse. Revelation 10 and verse 11. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It echoes James chapter one and verse four. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. He has promised a crown of life that we will never die. He's saying this to Smyrna and to us. Be faithful, win the crown. Be faithful, don't quit. Don't let circumstances steal your hope or your joy or, or your first love. You know, uh, when I was growing up, you, you know this if you've been here any of the time, we couldn't, go, we couldn't go to movies. I never went, well that's not true, I went to one movie. I, I snuck out one time with my friends. You say, oh, what'd you go see, Ray? The Poseidon Adventure. When I got home, my dad made it plain. I was on a road straight to hell. And there was no pass and go or anything. <laughs> Ray, you went to a movie. <laughs> but that's how he was raised. It wasn't all his fault. We couldn't play cards. Well, we could play Christian cards, Rook. Anyone remember Rook? Yes. Oh, I feel old. Christian cards. Christians would gather just to play those. Bet money on them, everything. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Couldn't dance. If you were, were going to dance, you were of the devil. We went to the church where guys had to wear pants to the beach. That's, it was awful. And we lived in Orange County. Here, you wear pants to the beach because it's freezing cold and rainy. So, when I turned 18... Uh, I decided I'm going to my I'm going to a movie. I'm going. I, I'm just going. So, what was out in it was 1976. Uh, Rocky was out. Da I was so enamored with that movie. I went and saw it six, seven times. I kid you not. It so permeated my thinking that when I would speak on a weekend uh, in youth service or at a, a meeting or a leadership thing, Rocky always made his way into the message. Sometimes didn't apply at all, but Rocky still got in there. I mean, it was something. 
I mean, it's as vivid to me today as it was when I watched it a long time ago. It's this guy who's outmatched. Apollo Creed, champion of the world, muscle-bound behemoth. And here's Rocky, works in the meatpacking plant. He's outgunned, he's outmatched at every turn. It is inevitable that Rocky's going to lose to Apollo Creed. So in the match, you know, the, the stunt work wasn't all that great, but every time he went down by a punch that didn't connect with anything, <laughs> that wasn't the part that got me. It's when he got back up. It's when he got back up. No matter how many times he got knocked down, he got back up. There was no quit, no backup, no give up. Every time he did, I, I would get teary-eyed. Eight times seeing the movie, I knew it was coming. Every time those stairs, those stairs in Philadelphia that he couldn't climb and then he finally climbed them, I was doing the dance with him. That's the message of Smyrna. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to get beat up. You're going to be persecuted. But get up. In the name of Jesus, get up. Persevere, and you will win the crown of life, the victor's crown, the crown of righteousness. You will win the crown. It doesn't mean that we'll enjoy it. It doesn't mean that it will be fun. It doesn't mean that when you've lost a loved one, you walk around pretending like it doesn't hurt because it does. It doesn't mean that when the doctor's diagnosis comes your way and it's not good and, and it, it's, it's, it's bad. It doesn't mean that you might not have a momentary moment, if you will, of fear, but you know that you're still in God's hands and you press on. What I want to encourage some of you today to do is in the name of Jesus, press on. It's like uh, Corey Timboom said. Well, let me back up. Evie, go, go ahead and put Evie Hill up there for me, if you would. Those who are born once die twice. Those who are born twice die once. Get it? If you haven't accepted Christ, then you're born once and you die twice, both now and in, in eternity. But if you've accepted Christ... You are born twice, and when you pass in this life, you're in the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. But getting back to Smyrna, Corey Tinboom, who used to hide Jewish people during the Holocaust, her family would hide them in a, a secret room just off her, her room. She said, uh, she said this, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. That in the crucible of suffering and pain, there comes that moment where you realize you can't make it on your own, but you can make it in Jesus' name. So when you get hurt and when you get down or beat up or struggling, cry out to him. Jesus, help me through this. And, and it will surprise you because if you, if you do that enough, after, after a lot of years in my life, I can tell you that there were times when Jesus was all I had, but then I realized Jesus was all I needed. How about you today? You're not going to grow if you never get to that point. I'm sorry. I wish I could say, hey, go have some fun. No, you're going to have pain and suffering. 
but you are rich. But you are rich today. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. As your heads bowed, Philipsis brings us to the bottom line essential. Pressure brings us to Jesus himself, who is our only security and our only hope. Father, touch our hearts today with the reality that in times of suffering, in times of persecution, you were there. You don't forget our name. You don't forget where we live. You, you know our struggle and you care deeply. Lord, raise up a group of Christ followers who prepare themselves for what might be coming, who jump into your word, who seek to worship you every day, who seek to call out to you daily, who seek to prepare themselves, themselves for what might be coming, Lord. For those who are going through difficult days, we lift them up to you. The tears shed over a lost loved one. The tears over a failed relationship. The hurt and the wounds. We lift them all up to you, Lord. Maybe it's us standing in the need of prayer. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the message to Smyrna that relates so well to our situation. May we press on. May we empathize. May we be loving. May we be people who care. May we be people who reflect on your precious glory. In Christ's name we pray.